Chapter 40 of Anglo-American Memories by George Washburn Smalley. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 40, Lord and Lady Arthur Russell and the Salon in England. The recent death of Lady Arthur Russell diminished by one the number of accomplished women of this generation who were distinguished in the last generation also and it closed one of the few drawing-rooms in london which have been salon as well as drawing-room i suppose lady arthur herself might have said as she looked about her and looked back tout passe the french phrase would have come naturally to her tongue for she was french daughter of that vicomte de parenay who was minister to charles the tenth yet one was not often at any rate not too often reminded of her french origin so long ago as eighteen sixty five mademoiselle de Perinette married lord arthur russell brother of the ninth duke of bedford and of the more famous lord odo russell afterward the first lord amptill long british ambassador at berlin where he managed to be on good terms both with prince bismarck and the present emperor a feat of diplomacy almost unique it is eighteen years since lord arthur died he was indisputably of the last or an earlier generation having little in common with the present people thought of lord and lady arthur as one of itself enough to identify them with earlier times than those when husband and wife are as likely to be met separately as together if there was a distinction it was at the breakfast hour at breakfasts in other houses there was no rule which excluded ladies from these breakfasts but there was a custom which held good in the majority of cases the host's wife if he had one might or might not appear but the group of men who were in the habit of breakfasting at each other's houses included lord arthur russell sir mountstuart grant duff lord rie mr charles rondell mr albert rutson sometimes mr herbert spencer and many more you will recognize sir mountstuart grant duff's name as that of the most voluminous diarist of his time and when you have read his six or seven volumes the map of his life is spread before you an honoured and useful life a career of real distinction lord arthur had not sir mountstuart's ambitions he was content with his home and his kin and his books his brother the duke had a habit of referring to himself as hastings russell an alteration at woburn abbey was proposed to him it will not be made in the lifetime of hastings russell his answer he had a sense of humour which lloyd george must think a rare thing in a duke i drove once from montmore to woburn abbey with lady rosebury and her little girl lady sybil then eight or nine years old with a gift of humorous perception rare at any age in her sex the child had a balanced mind and a mature view of things which might have belonged to eighteen as well as eight the old place interested her and she asked the duke to show her the whole he was delighted and took us through room after room each stately and each a museum presently we came to a rather bare scantily furnished unhandsome room and lady sybil asked but what is this 
this my dear is where i earn my living writing checks for six hours a day all three brothers the duke lord odo and lord arthur had a quiet humour in common lord odo had besides humour wit it was he while ambassador in berlin and during a visit of the shah when that great potentate practised a less strict abstinence at dinner than his religion demanded who said to a neighbour after all it's nothing wonderful you must remember the proverb la nuit tous les chats sont is and berlin used to echo with his caustic good-natured speeches nor did berlin nor perhaps london ever forget prince bismarck saying i never knew an englishman who spoke french well whom i would trust except lord odo after which i dare not name two or three others whose french was not less perfect than that which prince bismarck praised the prince was a good judge as well he might be french had become to him almost a second mother tongue as indeed it must be to a european diplomatist to the list of men who were to be met in those days at breakfast the name of mr george broderick ought to be added he was a scholar a writer a journalist and one of those men who never could understand why the world would not come round to his way of thinking and to him he had real abilities which survived a university education he was born into a respectable place in the world of good family with good opportunities but was never a man of the world to be of the world in the true sense of the phrase a man must i take it have a fairly accurate notion of his relation to the world that broderick had not his ambitions were political and most of all parliamentary but they remained ambitions he could not understand how to commend himself to a constituency nor would he ever have conformed to the inexorable standards of the house of commons he expected the house and its standards to conform to him struggling with a fine courage for the unattainable mr roderick meantime occupied himself with journalism and was for many years a leader writer on the times the story which points his intense self-concentration as well as any other connects itself with that period he was a guest in a house in scotland and while there continued composition of those more or less adithonian and rather academic essays which when printed on the leader page of the thunderer became leaders and very good leaders of their kind he saw fit to write them in the drawing-room and in the morning when men are commonly supposed to be elsewhere there were ladies and they talked presently mr broderick rose marched over to his hostess and said to her lady x i really must ask you to ask these ladies not to carry on their conversation in this room i am engaged upon a most important article and my thoughts are distracted by talk which has no importance at all his appearance and dress were those of a man who gave no thought to either he was rather tall angular uncouth a stoop in the shoulders and his figure consisted of k's he had the projecting teeth which french caricaturists used to give to english messies in whom it is extremely rare some person of genius untempered with mercy called him a curious dentatus 
and the nickname lasted as long as broderick lasted with his teeth and his knees and elbows sawing the air and his umbrella and his horse all ribs he was the delight of the row everybody liked him but everybody laughed at him in the end he renounced journalism and renounced politics and became warden of merton it was thought he would not be a good head of a college nor get on with his students but he falsified all predictions governed wisely and well won the affection of the boys under him and died lamented i suppose the explanation is that he had at bottom a genuine sincerity of nature but i am wandering far and i return to lady arthur and her house and her guests the form of salon which lady arthur russell preferred was a salon preceded by a dinner it was never a large dinner except in a few houses the banquets of forty or fifty people or more so dear to the new york hostess are not given in london nor is mere bigness reckoned an element of social success in the biggest capital of the world where society far exceeds in numbers the society of any other capital people are content with moderation a dinner of forty people is a lottery in which each guest has two chances and no more his luck and his hopes of being amused or interested depend wholly on his right and left hand neighbours lady arthur being by birth a frenchwoman had french ideas on this and other subjects she did not choose her guests alphabetically nor by rank nor for the sake of a passing notoriety lions you might meet at her house but they were not expected to roar nor did they neither at dinner nor after dinner were more people asked than could be managed large parties are of course given in london but they do not constitute a salon it is of the essence of a salon that people shall not be left wholly to themselves as in a large party they must be but shall be looked after affinities do not always find themselves they have to be brought together others have to be kept apart no authority is needed intuitions a quick eye for situations and a gentle skill in distribution are the gifts which go to the making of a good hostess these lady arthur had by mere smartness she set little store i suppose the house in audley square which lord arthur russell built never passed for a particularly smart house of houses which are called and which are smart there are scores in london of salon there are very few herself the daughter of a french viscount and with her husband brother to a duke lady arthur had no particular need to concern herself about mere smartness that is a reputation not altogether difficult to acquire the king's smile may confer it not perhaps the late queen's of whom one more than usually brilliant butterfly remarked but the queen you know never was in society which perhaps in the sense intended was true if there were one note more marked than another in these audley square assemblies it was a note of culture ease and good breeding and distinction may all be taken for granted it is of the things which may not be taken for granted that i speak and culture certainly may not there are many houses in london in which it is neither expected nor desired 
in new york as we all know it is discouraged it would be discouraged anywhere if it were obtrusive or pedantic neither in a salon nor anywhere else is it to supersede good manners but to blend with them to make a salon possible there must be varied interest play of mind flexibility adaptability and an unlimited supply of tact perhaps the last includes all social gifts except those of the intellect it covers a multitude of deficiencies nay there was miss ada reeve a clever actress who last year was discussing on the stage questions of costume elsewhere than on the stage and announced if a woman has tact and diamonds she needs nothing else most of the generalities which you have been reading are really particulars and are descriptive of lady arthur russell's receptions of which i have spoken as a salon i don't know that lady arthur herself ever used the word nor does it matter the thing not the name is what matters there was culture of a very unusual kind on both sides of the house there was on lady arthur's side her french blood a salon in paris is no rare thing and the reason why it is not rare is because the society of paris is french in the faubourg saint germain if nowhere else the social traditions of the old monarchy in its most brilliant days still survive one of the noticeable things about this house in audley square was the presence of distinguished foreigners and another was that they seemed no longer to consider themselves foreigners they were at home nor was this true only of men and women of rank who might be of kin to the pyrenees and at any rate were of their world but of artists and men of letters i will take m renan as an example he had come to london to deliver the hibbert lectures and a lecture on marcus aurelius before the royal institution in albemarle street of which the ever-lamented tyndale was then at the head i had met renan twice at other houses he seemed a little dépassé in audley square this exotic and troubled air had disappeared he had no english at any rate he spoke none and his conversation or the conversation of the english with him was therefore limited but when he talked and often when he did not he was surrounded by a crowd of listeners or as the case might be of lookers-on hence it was that he was so often kept or left standing and his physical frame was of such a kind that long standing was irksome to him and even painful i noticed one night that he seemed ill at ease and said to him i hoped he was not suffering yes he said that is exactly it i am souffrant and if i have to stand much longer i don't know what will happen but why don't you sit down oh do you think i might so i took him to a comfortable sofa and once seated an ineffable sweet peace stole over his features a more tragic incident happened in count von arnhem's case the end of whose career was all tragedy at this time he was still german ambassador in paris but prince bismarck had become distrustful of him and the end was not far off the public however knew nothing least of all the english public whose acquaintance with occurrences on the continent is apt to be remote 
for aught that was known in london count von arnhem was still the trusted representative of germany he bore a great name he held a great position the personal impression was a little disappointing he did not look like the man to stand up to prince bismarck who was a giant in stature as well as in character nor was he slight rather short lacking in distinction meagre in face with no hint of power in the shape of his head or in his rather furtive expression or in his carriage he seemed on the whole insignificant the eyes had no fire in them he looked older than his years and unequal to his renown it was the custom in those distant days to serve tea in the drawing-room after dinner count von arnhem was asked if he would take tea left the lady by whom he was sitting crossed the floor to the tea-table took his cup of tea from lady arthur's hand and started on his return the floor was of polished oak with here and there a rug just the sort of floor to which he must have been used to all his life but he slipped his feet flew from under him and down came the ambassador on his back it was an awful moment men went to his rescue he was helped up evidently much shaken and slowly found his way back to the sofa and to the lady who had been his companion there were almost tears in his eyes when a little later the news of his disgrace became known a man said well if he could not keep his feet in a drawing-room what chance had he against prince bismarck End of chapter forty